everyone. Welcome to the Beauty School Bobby podcast brought to you by Tennessee School of Beauty. Today we are on the phone with Daniel Mason Jones, Muse Salon in Atlanta, Georgia. So welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good, good. So again, thank you so much for um, taking the time to talk to us. I have so many stylists, salon owners from Knoxville um, that traveled recently, I guess it was a couple, last month maybe, to Nashville to see you with Samvia. And all of them came back just so excited about getting to see you and learned so much from um, what you're doing. And so we'll get into a little bit more of what you're doing now, but I want to start at the beginning. So I want to talk to you about beauty school. So what was your beauty school experience like? Where did you go and where were you at in your life when you decided that you wanted to be a hairstylist? Oh my. So thank you. Um, And for me, the beauty school story is going to be a lot different than probably what you even expected on this phone call. So I actually did not go to beauty school. Um, I went to work here in Atlanta. I, I started working for a man And he actually owned a beauty school in the Atlanta area, but I actually did an apprenticeship. And he did allow me to get the curriculum from the school. But uh, as far as going to school, I didn't. And that's one of the regrets that I've always had. I feel like as a stylist, I started running before I ever learned to crawl. So over the past 18 years, I've had to go back and do a whole lot of foundational learning. Yeah. So in Georgia, are you, I mean, did you have to get your hours you know, through that salon that you were at or how did that work? I did. I did. I worked under a master stylist and uh, she was really wonderful to, to let me come in really with not much experience at all, um, touching hair. And uh, so it was, it was a great thing that she allowed me to do that. I worked under her directly. And then the man that owned the salon was the one that signed off on all the hours for me. Awesome. So how do you think that affects like when you have assistance in your salon? Do you think that you treat it a little bit differently of like not going to beauty school? Do you think that you have more <laughs> of a like, we're going to focus on everything here in the salon? Or how do you think that that affected you? Well, you know, it, it certainly makes me have a softer heart for the associates inside the salon, just because I understand what it's like to be that person that does all the grunt work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's much like being a parent. A lot of times it's, it's a thankless job that make everything really look great on the surface. So I do have a soft heart uh, toward them. But I'll tell you, like being able to go to school and like when I see the, the kids that are coming to work in our salon now, they're so good. And of course, there's things that maybe in the schools they don't learn, but it's, it's having the collaboration of being able to bring that knowledge from school and what you learn in the salon to really create a well-rounded and green stylist. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that even when you, if you are putting in 1500 hours or whatever you're required at a beauty school, um, you still have to have so much in the salon and there's so much to learn in the salon. So I think that it, like exactly you said, it goes hand in hand. There's not just like just salon or just school. That probably is the right answer. It just has to be that mix of both of them. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, I mean, no matter how long we're in the industry, you have to continually learn anyway. Everything comes back to education. Everything is supported through education. So um, that's huge. 
Yeah. So now you are um, salon owner like stylist. You are um, a speaker leader in the industry right now. Um, so many people that I talk to and let them know that like I really wanted to record with you are like he is just it right now. Like Daniel Weiss and Jones is at all VR right now, <laughs> um, which is so awesome. But how did you end up getting into like this different role? Did you always know that like the speaking and the motivation gotcha. to stylist is something you wanted to do or did it just happen? It really happened. And I have to be honest with you, um, the speaking for me, I a lot of times still get super scared and nervous whenever I go to speak to a large group. But if you would have asked me 10 years ago, would I be speaking to large groups the way that I am today? I would have laughed at you and said, no way. Um, it's really something that just, it just happened out of like, I would say it just organically happened. There was a lot of information that I had inside of me that I didn't realize people needed. And I think a lot of people are, are actually not a lot. All people have that inside of you. And we just don't allow ourselves to help people the way that we should. And I think we take for granted that we have a super strength or something that other people don't have. And it's really nice when we're able to give that to other people. And there's certainly a million things that I'm not great at. So I'm always looking for the people that have the strength in other areas for me. Yeah. So how do you split up your time right now? How much are you in the salon? How much are you traveling? How much are you taking classes? Like what is a year look like for you? How is that broken up? <laughs> it's complete chaos. As <laughs> even just getting on the call with you today, I was, I was trying to hurry through the Atlanta traffic, which that's an oxymoron. Right. And uh, <laughs> I had just held, I had a, a conference call this morning and I hung up the conference call, literally walked out to my team at the salon. We had uh, a leadership meeting for all the people that are leaders inside of our company. And uh, then I left there and got in traffic to come talk to you. So every minute of my life is literally penciled in and there's not a lot of free time. You know, it looks on social media. A lot of people think that my life is probably glamorous. You know, I'm speaking to large crowds and uh, magazines and podcasts. There's a lot of things that are happening, but I think a lot of people don't realize the grind and the hustle that goes behind it. And there's a whole lot of personal sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, you're which kind of I, giving yourself. To do. Yeah, I mean, you're giving <laughs> yourself to so many different people, um, and so yeah. many different things need you. So, um, I wanted to ask you how this all came about. Um, how you ended up doing this was it just people had heard about you and heard that you were doing things a little bit differently and wanted to talk to you about how you were doing it, or because what you're mostly speaking about um, is what you know when people are coming to see you. What are you? teaching about most of the time well so that's the funny part i've been an educator now for hair color for almost 14 years i love hair color everything about it all then all the ins and outs the corrective color balayage whatever i love that what i found was every time that i would walk into a salon to teach they were asking me my business uh advice They're like how do you have such a large clientele and how do you make the money that you make and how are you pre-booked out for two years how is this happening and so what was happening is we weren't even really doing the color or if I was doing a color application, they were so busy focused on what it was that I was doing business wise that I was like, okay, clearly there's a need here. And I often say that with people on your social media, people ask, um, you know, what is it that, that I should be doing? And I'm like, what is it that people ask for most often? Wow. And that's something to really pause and think about what you're being asked about most often is what your audience wants to hear from you. So yeah. I still work in the salon four days a week. I'm in the salon uh, Wednesday through Saturday. And I work a really aggressive schedule. 
Um, in fact, I was just scheduling a guest that I'm squeezing in um, Wednesday morning. So I'm going to have an almost 14-hour day at the salon. I book every 30 minutes behind the chair, and uh, it's it's wild. But I love it, and I'm able to take care of my guests in the way that I need to. I'm able to serve them, and that's always my first and, and foremost thought is to serve them. On the flip side, it has turned out to be a quite uh, lucrative industry to be in. So when you put the needs of others first, you take care of them. That's the first thing. Everything else falls into place, and you can make an incredible living doing what we do. Yeah, I really love that you're open to speaking about you know, how hard this is right now. Because when we're meeting with students and telling them about the beauty industry, um, I'm the director of admissions at a beauty school. So I am meeting with them and just kind of telling them basics of beauty school, which is why I started this podcast, because there's so much that I want to tell them. And you are kind of a perfect, I didn't know that it was going to, you know, go this way, but you are kind of a perfect example of even when you make it. So if somebody sees your social media, you know, sees all that, I mean, you have, you made it a long time ago. Um, yes. Look at how hard you're still working. Like that. I'm working harder now stop. than I ever have. Yeah. <laughs> and you I have think... to maintain. It's just like a six pack, right? You you don't just get abs 20 years ago and they're there forever. You have to constantly do it. And uh, it, it's what I do. I grind all the time. And I just feel like now is the time. There's such a shift happening inside of our industry where a lot of people are being led into the wrong direction. Everybody thinks that they can be their own boss. Everybody thinks that they're better by themselves. And all of that is so misleading. It's it's not even real life. Um, what's the quote? If you want to go far or if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far with a team, mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by some of the brightest people in the industry. And it is so great. And it doesn't matter, you know, if they're hairdressers or estheticians, because we all are doing the same thing. It may not be the same art skill, but we're still working diligently behind uh, our, the chair in our spa rooms with our guests. And I, I just want to be around those type of people that keep me inspired and encouraged to do more and be more. I think um, I just turned 41. So, oh my um, gosh, like, are you joking? <laughs> I feel like I'm on the bridge. No, <laughs> <laughs> you look incredible. Well, thank God for Botox. Oh my um. gosh. I literally <laughs> thought, so I'm 31 and I was like, okay, so he's probably my age and doing all oh of God, this. I like, love you right now. Oh my gosh. You look amazing. <laughs> I need like, I need that Botox where I've got to come to Atlanta for it. I, uh, 65 units is the key. Just, if it moves, <laughs> always say if it moves, shoot it. Um. <laughs> so yeah, but I, I go nonstop. A typical work week for me, and, and this is where people is probably going to like swerve off the roads if you're listening while you're driving. Um, I work just over 100 hours a week and really don't know how to work less than that. I've got so many projects going on that, that I've not even released yet. They're going to be super cool um, to help our industry. So there's just always something new. I think, you know, if you're a student listening and and you think, okay, the way to become successful is for me to open a salon. That's awesome if your dream is to own a salon, but not everybody is called to be an entrepreneur or a business owner. It is such a hard job. I have 62 employees inside of our company right now, and I work as their equal. I do lead them. I'm the visionary. I forbid them to ever call me a boss. I think that's such a nasty word. Um, But just really leading people, there's a million ways to do, to like, make money inside of our industry, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You don't have to own a salon. Um, You do have to work a lot. That's for sure. That's the one ingredient that's not going to go away. 
but there's there's so many things. I just created something called the Social Media Roadmap. That's been a great uh, passive income. It's like super inexpensive. It teaches people how to blow up their social media and and really dive into um, developing their ideal target market audience. That's really big. That's something I always talk about in my classes. And uh, there's just so many avenues. You know, you can do editorial styling, you can work runway, you can work for TV and film. And I've dabbled in every one of those things, but I come back to each and every time. Being behind my chair has always been the consistent thing, but going out and just being an educator. And I think that's really key. Yeah. And I love that you obviously just have this passion to help people. Um, yes. I wanted to ask you, so with this program, because I was looking this up actually um, last night and looking up like all the different things that you're offering for social media at when you're speaking, and I actually saw this on some of your videos that you had posted, you've got a pretty wide range from new stylists to stylists that have been in the industry um, longer than you probably, but the social yeah, oh, media yeah. thing is new. So talk to me about the questions that you get and and how you're people you know satisfying the needs of new stylists and you know stylists that have been in the industry for a while so with social media you know it's an ever-changing thing and this is what i always preface anything with i want people to know that whenever i speak uh whether it's in an interview or whether it's on a stage or a national platform it doesn't matter i want you to understand that the information that i give you i don't just speak just to speak or to be seen I speak out of true conviction, like everything is conviction for me and it's with passion. When I'm giving social media advice, I'm fully aware that the algorithms are changing. In fact, there was another algorithm change that happened this past weekend and uh, it's changing all the time. One of my friends works for Instagram, so I get a lot of my information from him. So I'm always bringing, as soon as I get something, I give it directly to our industry. So the information that I'm giving is not diluted. It's not something that I sat in front of a YouTube tutorial and learned that may or may not be correct. And then I'm trying to, to misguide people. That's never that's never the thing. Um, social media is such a money-making machine for us. I made a quarter of a million dollars last year just off of my Instagram page. What? And I, and I got a free car. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, um, wow. So, yeah. There's ways to make money, and I think a lot of people get so caught up. One of the I'm going to do a video maybe today, but so many people are caught up on how many followers they have or how many likes they're getting. And luckily, Instagram is going to be doing away with the likes, so you actually only the person that holds the account will be able to see the, how many likes you're actually getting. But it's rumored that in September that the number of followers will also disappear off the page, which this is going to it's going to create. I can see where it's going to create problems on both sides. Um, especially if you're an influencer and you're getting paid from your page. Right. But there's something called an IG audit link. And and for those of us that are using Instagram as a monetary like position, we can send the companies that want to do business with us and that are going to pay us, we can send them those links and they can measure the analytics that way. Um, but it, it's helping because so many of our, our young people are being affected. And, and let's face it, us too, mm -hmm. where if we don't get a certain amount of likes or comments, we feel like, our work isn't nice or we didn't do a great job. And that's just not the truth. And, you know, I was making a million dollars a year behind the chair as a stylist before Instagram ever really happened. So I was successful before Instagram came into play. It's just allowed me another opportunity to better network myself and market a bigger audience. Yeah. Well, and that's all so – that's such important information to share because, like I said, when there's people that have been in the industry that have, you know, been doing this for a long time, this wasn't something that they had to make time for, you know, yeah. making sure that they got – 
the before and after pictures and how to share and all of that stuff was not something that they were taught because it all happened while they were behind the chair. So exactly, it's really cool that you have that that room filled with people that are new and you know you've probably there's probably been a lot of connections made for people too that um you know that the younger Silas is able to help the more mature Silas and it goes both ways because I think that we're just always going to need those relationships oh without a doubt you know and I often joke in my classes and say I'm like look all you young kids in the room I see you out there and I know that you're so smart with social media and and like editing videos and adding the music and all that that's awesome but I'm going to tell you a little secret those older stylists actually know how to do hair so yeah. when we when we team up together like you, we know how to finish hair without using flat irons or curling irons those are great but we can do a blow dry that's going to last a minute Right. And uh, so to be able to marry that information together between the generations that are inside the salon is so awesome. Yeah, I'm really actually jealous that you get to see that so often because I feel like that would just be one of the coolest things to see and just see them like learning from you too. So one of the things that I was thinking kind of as you were talking a second ago um, is you had obviously been very successful behind the chair before all of this happened. Um, Have you ever thought about what would happen if you would have just stayed doing that if you wouldn't have taken this opportunity or seen an opportunity to really help others? Like, can you imagine what your career would be like, um, I mean, I would have more money, but that's <laughs> for me, that's not as fulfilling as serving people. I genuinely, it's almost like a high for me. Mm-hmm. And anybody that knows me well knows I don't even drink caffeine. So when I talk about high, like I, I'm not endorsing any sort of anything. I don't right. drink anything but water, room temperature. <laughs> but um, um, I think it's just, I, it would be a really selfish thing to do. To know that you have something that people need and keep it to yourself. Yeah. Right. I, I feel I, like we're all called by something bigger to serve people. And so I have to answer my calling. Yeah. I, I totally like I understand that feeling. And I, I just kind of have always once I I mean, I've been in the beauty industry for seven years. And once I saw these students and really fell in love with that, like, oh, no, I got to help them get this career start. I got to help them tell their parents that they wanted to be hairstylists, which is not always an easy conversation to have. Exactly. Or the conversation of, hey, I'm quitting college to do this. You know, I've got to be there with them and then to see them buy their first cars and buy their first houses and all of those things that are just instant gratification. Um, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I think you're right. I think it's selfish if you don't share this passion because it really, I mean, you're changing people's lives every time they talk to you. You're changing their careers. You're making them more money. So I just think that what you're doing is is such a beautiful thing. You're kind to say that. Thank you. And <laughs> it's funny because so many of my aha moments have come through uh, Knoxville. Isn't that so weird? That's awesome. I love it. There's something going on here. There really is. <laughs> I, I agree. There's a great energy there. I came up to just to learn how to facilitate and speak by um, there was a lady. She still lives in the area. But she's she was like basically a legend back in the day as far as uh, platform work. Yeah. And her name was Carol Lydon Smith. And so I got to come up to Tennessee and I trained with her three different occasions and uh, learned to do public speaking and learn how to control a room and an audience. And that was really groundbreaking for me. Then I came back to Tennessee and taught a program. And there was this super sweet lady. I was actually texting her last night. Her name is Bonnie Webb. Oh, and I, I know Bonnie so well. Like okay, I, I love her. She's amazing. She is <laughs> she one of the same. most sweet, like supportive women, moms, everything. She's incredible. Uh, 
She's awesome. I've got a couple of girls up there that I'm obsessed with. The her and Megan, yeah. uh, Megan Landers yeah. and Jen Yeager. Like yeah. they're so, I just <laughs> love these people. And uh, so anyhow, I uh, I was teaching a class and Bonnie. I was teaching some sales goals and and Bonnie had written it down. I actually texted her this last night. So funny. Maybe it was in my subconscious mind. And uh, I sent her where she had written down her goal. This was years ago, and uh, she actually didn't just touch the goal; she exceeded the goal, and it was it was a pretty lofty goal. And Salon Centric reached out and was like, um, you know, praising her for her accomplishments and what she had done. And she wound up saying, "I went to Daniel Mason Jones's class and applied everything that he taught, and it worked." And so now I've had a job with Salon Centric two and a half years because of Bonnie Webb. So I've had so many great like moments come through Tennessee. Yeah. Well, and all of those people that you mentioned have this connection to the beauty school that I work at. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like so cool. at Tennessee's, I mean, Bonnie's in our school once a week cause we were ordered from salon centric. Um, she, Thanks for that. Yes. They both are, I mean, her and Megan have been so supportive when I told, they were one of the first people that I had told that I wanted to do this podcast. Um, and I'm like, I just want to get all this information out there. I want to motivate students. I want to keep them going when they are so like over it at a thousand hours, yeah. 700. I want to do something that like can keep them going. I want them to hear Daniel Mason Jones and see what doors can open for them. Um, and they were just as Bonnie always is just so sweet and so supportive. And it was just like, let's do this, you know? And she's like, whatever I need to you need drive to, to Tennessee do. and make a private event happen for all these students. Yes, please. They would literally like <laughs> die over it. <laughs> like They would die. Um, so speaking of students, um, I was reading, stalking you a little bit last night. You've traveled the world training as a hairstylist. Yeah. So you have literally yeah. been everywhere um as a student or what advice can you give to a student about why broadening your education is so important to not just get your education here in the states but to go to other countries oh my gosh so that's life-changing i i think i hold certifications right now in 11 or 12 countries outside of the united states oh my gosh um and that's important to me you know i grew up super poor from the country and um I think a lot of people need to know that because everybody sees me as this person that's had success and whatever. I'm just a country boy. <laughs> so um, I've traveled. I used to dream of what it would be like to get on an airplane. Now now I know what the reality of that is. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> be careful what you ask for. But, yeah, so my first time out of the country, I went to Barcelona, Spain, and I studied there. That was an incredible opportunity. I, um, Luis Langaris was the, the salon or the um, – education. And then I started from there and it was just like, I got this bug to travel and I saw that the world was so much bigger than the little area that I had grown up in. And there was different food and different languages and different cultures. And I was like, you know what? This is amazing to know that the world is so much bigger than my little town. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I went to to Paris. I've trained there. Good Lord. I can't even tell you how many times. <laughs> But uh, I trained with Jacques Dessange and learned uh, French haircutting techniques and balayage. And before balayage became a thing here in the United States, that was really cool. And um, I've been to Rome and to Budapest and, I, I mean, literally Dublin, Ireland. I can't even think of all the places. But it's so cool to travel around. And what you find is that hairdressers are just good people. Everywhere you go, they're kind and, you know, we're a little quirky and weird, but it's just our, our universal language. It doesn't matter where you go in the world is that we all just love serving people and making people feel their very best. Yeah. And so that's really cool and reaffirming. Yeah. And I think it's so good to have that energy around you. And I do think that it's, it's a comfort, but do you remember being like, 
afraid on your first trip. I know a lot of stylists um, oh my gosh, with the salons will end up going. And I know I've talked to some of the students that are like, I, like you said, I've never even been on a plane before. Like all of yeah. that. Those are the things that are going through their head. Um, do you remember how, being scared that first time? Oh my gosh, absolutely. It was like this crazy jolt of like energy and uh, fear. It, it was so many uh, just different emotions that it was, was overcoming me at one time. But it was so much fun. And then once we got our salon going the way that it is, we actually are so dedicated, committed to education. We take our team, and we have done this for years. We take our team to Europe. Not everybody, of course, because now we have 60 people. But we run contests in the salon, and we take them to Europe. And there's times that we've gone up to three times a year out of the country. And it's so fun when I get to take these stylists, you know, and some of them have never been on an airplane <laughs> and their first trip anywhere is Paris. And uh, wow. I always try to put them in the better seats on the plane. You know, I, I want them to have room to stretch out their legs because one of the biggest things is it all comes down to culture. And if I'm putting my team in really good seats on the plane, they see how our customers are flying and they see that level of experience. And I think that's so important for us in our industry to maybe spend a little bit of additional money once you can to see what kind of lifestyle our customers are living because they are so accustomed to just a different way of life. And once we get to experience that, we're like, oh, that's how they live. Maybe I should meet this level of expectations, you know, how they're being pampered and treated. I always talk about that in my branding classes. Like that's so important. Yeah, I've talked to um, Salvatore Minardi has been on the podcast um, twice, and I actually just got to meet him in person um, in New York City, and he is all about professionalism. Um, he's yeah. been in the industry for a long time, so with him growing up where, you know, guys are opening doors and pulling out chairs and all this stuff that he yes. still does, like he doesn't take, he doesn't miss a beat when it comes to those things, but I think that whether it's a fault, I don't think that it's always a fault of the stylist because like you said, they may have never, they've not you been exposed you know. to that. Right. So they don't understand that, you know, five star service, um, that should be provided to every guest. Um, if you haven't experienced that yourself, it's hard for you to understand that. Exactly. That is so profound. Yeah. And I think that you traveling and taking your guests there, I mean, I'm sure that that has impacted your salon and helped your salon oh. so much by just doing those, by doing those things. So I want to talk to you about Atlanta. Um, sure. Did you grow up near Atlanta? I know you said that you grew up in the country, but were you in Georgia? Yeah. No, I actually grew up in uh, a town called Easley, South Carolina. So it was near, it was the closest city that it would be near would be Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. And I grew up there and, uh, you know, just did my thing in the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was it at the time, like, was it accepted that you were going to come into the beauty industry as a male? Like, did you feel that there was some pushback that you were one of the only oh, guys no. that was going to do this or what was it well, like at that time? I didn't come here to be a, uh, a hairdresser at all. I actually moved to Atlanta, Georgia to go to college to be a funeral director and embalmer. Wait, what? So, yeah, so I'm actually I'm actually a funeral director and embalmer, and that's how I I ended up in it. There's a crazy story, and all the people that from Knoxville they've heard the story a million times. It, it's it's a long crazy story, but I wound up um, coming down to Atlanta, checking out a funeral home, loved it. I had worked at a funeral home in South Carolina and completed my internship, and then when I came to Atlanta to check out the college, um, it was a great opportunity for me, and it, it led to a really really oppositional time in my life where I had to choose between basically everything in college. And um, ultimately, I chose college, and that cost me a whole lot. It was a very painful time of my life. 
which pain grows you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, long, long, long story, but I wound up being excommunicated uh, from the church and from my family for making the choice to go to college. Wow. And uh, I did that, and um, my dead people looked amazing. <laughs> 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 and uh, I wound up getting in the beauty business, and I joke, I'm like, and I'm still wearing black. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that you were like, I found a funeral home, and I loved it. Like, I've never heard anyone yeah. say that before, well, and you was... were dead serious when you just said that. <laughs> I oh, found I'm a funeral so home, serious. loved it. <laughs> Yeah, it was such a great funeral home. It was small. It was family owned. Um, it was like this teamwork. And it was for me, working in the funeral business was never one time about working with dead people. It was always about helping the people that were hurting. And how could I make them for that time that we had them? And typically it was over three days. You know, the family would come in and out of the funeral home. How could I make that family feel love and how could I make them reminisce on the positive memories of their loved one? It was never about the the gore of working with the deceased people. And, you know, I did have a natural and I still do have that gift. I if I went back into the funeral home today, I could do it. I was a great embalmer and I was really great at restorative art. So if if there was a situation that was traumatic when someone passed away, I could fix that and make them look viewable to the family. And so I developed a reputation in the Atlanta area for being able to rebuild faces and ears and, and all that sort of thing to look like their natural, you know, their natural self before. And so I've always been an artist and it just, that industry, once I got in it, it was so, now I still work like a crazy person, but the hours were insane. You know, most people pass away during the night. So I felt I was always getting out of the bed at two o'clock in the morning and some nights you didn't sleep at all and it was just really hard to hold it together mm-hmm. for the for the amount of money and it was I think you could max out pretty much at 35,000 a year. Wow. And that was not the life that I wanted to live. Yeah. So then how did you end up making this step into the salon? Into your um, own salon too, I mean for that matter. <laughs> well, so I um I had the reputation for being able to fix people. There was this sweet lady. She was friends with our organist at the funeral home. And she was like, she would always get on to me. She's like, please stop working in the funeral home. You're too fun for that. <laughs> and I'm like, I did put the F-U-N in funeral, you know. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I, I had just gotten to a point where I, I was exhausted. And the workload was so much in the funeral home. I was like, I, I can't do this the rest of my life. And um Long and short, I looked in the paper. We had, at the time, we had the AJC, which is still a paper here, but for all the kids listening, you're like, what's a paper? (laughs) Um, This is before the internet. And there was the classified section, and there was an opportunity uh, to do an apprenticeship for free. And so I called the salon that day, and the lady that answered the phone, um, she basically hired me on the phone right there. And I started working in the in the salon immediately, and it was so cool. First day was prom season. I put these young ladies' hair up in like nine seconds flat. My stylist, and I, P.S. Shame on her. I didn't have a license or experience, but I grew up Pentecostal, and so I can do updos with like one eye closed. <laughs> yeah. So everybody had hair that was four feet longer, longer. Right. And so I, was, I whipped up these girls' hair in like a, a nanosecond, and the stylist was like, "How did you do that?" And I'm like. Oh gosh, it's a long story, but I can. <laughs> I've I can had do some up practice. <laughs> I've watched my mom whip her long hair for many years, and um, it was just so intoxicating being in the salon that first day. And it was happy, and so once I got inside, I never left again. 
Wow. So is Atlanta home for you? Is that going to be home base for um, a while? It at will least? be. I I do have a little bit of a gypsy side to me, so I could um, I could pick up and move tomorrow. However, I have a huge team here and uh, a lot of real estate investments in Atlanta, so I can't leave that easily. But if there were ever an opportunity for a bigger city, I would go. I, I love big cities. I have dreams of living in New York City or Barcelona, Spain. Um, I just love a big, crazy city. Yeah. There's something about New York. I'm still not over it. And I got back last Wednesday. It's just so amazing. And I think that if you're the kind of person that can really like, and I think that you had mentioned this earlier, I mean, just taking on that other culture and just like really letting yourself adapt to where you are, I think that you can enjoy anywhere. If you can take on that, like, let's just find what, you know, the local people are doing and all of that and just kind of be a part of the city. Um, It's, there's so much, there's so much good there. (laughs) Oh my God, it's so fun. And you know what? Here's the thing I think that, and you saying that, I think I just had my epiphany after all these years of New York City. New York City, if you don't have a hustle and grind mentality, you can't survive. And so everybody that lives in that city, they're all there doing the same thing that we do where we are. And so it's like just being around like minded people. You can't work a, a four hour work day and just go chill out in New York city. You have to work or you're not going to survive. You'll get eaten alive in that city. Yeah. It was funny. So I got to, um, I was interviewing Nick Orojo and I was at one of his cosmetology schools and I got to meet another admissions director and I was like, Oh, this is cool. And her and I, it's when we passed each other in the hallway, we both are like, you're so pretty. Oh my gosh. And so like, we just are the same person. And like, of course, (laughs) because as an admissions director, you know, you're friendly and outgoing and bubbly. And she was the same way. And that was before I even knew what her job was there. So then when I met her after I interviewed Nick, I was like, of course, you're the admissions director. Of course, you're the one. (laughs) But because he has different locations, she was like, hey, I've got an appointment down at the Tribeca school. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, yes, girl. So we just, she changed her shoes, put on sneakers and ran out. And I'm like, this is a dream for me. I mean, this I would love and just being a part of that and that hustle and that go is just, I mean, everyone makes fun of how fast I'm like, move here anyways like I'm running up and down the halls at the school all the time um (laughs) but getting to be a part of that in New York City was like man this is just amazing it's fun yeah that's so cool I love it's that. really, really fun. So, all right, Daniel, we, um, I want to plug all of your things so we can find out where to follow you so we can get all the students following you. Well, you can find me on every social media at Daniel Mason Jones. Instagram is Daniel Mason Jones. I do have a YouTube channel that I'm going to start putting some pretty heavy content on there for you all. Uh, it's also Daniel Mason Jones. And then I have a professional Facebook page. So for those of you that use Facebook, you can find my regular page. Uh, but I'm not really adding any new people to that. You can find me on my professional page. It is Daniel Mason Jones Professional. And uh, on there, I do Facebook Lives. I love helping people. So if you ever have questions, um, I'm about to do a whole lot of video filming. Um, we just finished building a house and moved in on Tuesday. And I have a studio here. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, That's yeah, incredible. It's, it's so needed because I, I'm about to take this to the next level of helping people. So you can find me on all those social media platforms. And please don't be shy. If you found me on this podcast, let me know where you found me. Um, I love answering questions. And more than that, I love just engaging and helping all of you grow. So please feel free to hit me up. I'm super approachable.
Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you to our sponsor, Tennessee School of Beauty. You can visit them at www.tennesseeschoolofbeauty.com. You can follow them at TN School of Beauty on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to follow me at Beauty School Bobby on Instagram and visit our website, www.beautyschoolbobby.com, where you can listen to all of our episodes. Make sure you're rating and reviewing and sharing the episodes with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.